Children, this is a dancing type song, so feel free to dance. In this case, what is the spiritual gift of faith? When God gives the spiritual gift of faith, what is that? 20 minutes, eating dinner together, and then if it's a beating and eating dinner in 20 minutes, and it kind of carries over to the end. And then 20 minutes talking about what happens when people have exercised the spiritual gift of faith. However, if you have the spiritual gift of faith or want to know about the spiritual gift of faith, you have to RSVP by the 28th. So that's three days before that's the Sunday before that. Okay? So that way, uh, if you RSVP by the 28th, we'll know you're coming, we'll have enough movement like that. And if no one RSVPs, then we'll cancel that one and we'll move right on to the next one. So we're working our way through the list of spiritual gifts and fellowshipping over those and learning about those. Okay? So remember, we have Tuesday night Bible study, 6.30. We are working through the Baptist faith and message. Well, our church 
agrees with the Baptist faith message. And you're like, well, I don't for sure know what that is. So there's two ways you can get to the bottom of what Baptist faith message is. Probably more than two. There are two easy ways. One way would be to buy a copy for yourself. Go to a Christian bookstore, order online, whatever, get a hold of it. There's a link on our website that says we subscribe to Baptist faith message. You can read, so you can click it there and read it. And look at the scriptures, because that's what's really important at the bottom of each section. The scriptures are all listed. It'll tell you what they mean. What, why, why, from the Bible, we believe what we believe. That's one way to do it. Do that work on your own. Or the other way to do it would be to come on Tuesday nights and sit with us and we meet in the cafeteria and we are working through it systematically, article by article, and it has been good. I have really learned a lot, even though I've studied the Baptist message myself completely end to end before, read it a couple of times. But in our group, then, we're talking about what the Bible says about those things. We've also been comparing it to some of what the world believes, some of what's not godly, what's not the church, and seeing how people kind of fall on a track and get believing things that are not really what the Bible teaches. And so that's been Tuesday nights. We run 6.30 to 7.30, just faithfully that period of time. We've been doing real good at ending at 7.30, 7.35, the latest. And then um, at the same time, we have a kids club. So you have the opportunity to bring your kids to that. Okay? If you're listening online and you've never been here before, it's okay. You walk in on Tuesday and we'll be ready for you. Okay. All right. So that's there are other things on this list. We are in our kind of like promotions and acknowledgement period where we do not have a cut. Everybody comes together and does a mission in uh, September. But we do have flyering. We do have an opportunity to uh, outreach. Uh, you can make visits, that kind of thing. And then our next big everybody gets together event is the Fall Fest which would be opposite trick-or-treating, and we, we're going to do a whole lot of fun down the hole. If we have too many games, we'll put some outside of events, whatever. And we do kids' activities all the way down the hallway, and kids can play games. So that's coming up, uh, and I believe it's on the 31st. It's when Sleeve has some trick-or-treating, so we'll know that as we get closer. Okay? And I'll let that go, and you can take a look at the rest of these. Uh, been trying to be pretty faithful about putting them on our upcoming events page, which is on our website, so you can check that at 122. And download download our app Life for Toledo, the number four. Alright, that's what I got for announcements. Anybody else have anything else that I which refer to the convention? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. She just got her license. Oh, oh, she just got her license, that's what yeah, it was. She just got her license like a month ago and got in a head-on accident this morning. Wow. Okay, well we're definitely gonna pray for her. Okay, so let's pray together, and then we'll worship a little bit more, and then uh, next up, after a little more worship, is Inspiration Moment. We've got an opportunity to share testimony or something for, that you saw this week, and we're, I'm going to talk briefly at that time about Can't You Can't, and maybe somebody else will too. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the, what you do for us. It's hard for me to look at like a tree or a cloud or the stars in the sky and not realize that you are the awesome God that created all of that. But it's also true that sometimes I get wrapped up in what's going on in my own life. I get so busy. I get kind of tunnel vision. I'm not even noticing what's going on around me. And maybe even I get angry or confused, distracted, and I do forget. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for that. And I know that that forgiveness was paid for by Jesus, your son. Thank you for the salvation that you've provided, for the love that you have for us. For putting us in this place, giving us this building, giving us the time to be together. We pray for those who couldn't be here today for whatever reason. We don't know what the story of each person's life is. Well, we pray for Tiffany uh, coming out of a situation like that, just getting her license and getting her head on active. That could affect her in a lot of ways. We pray, Lord, that she's okay. She won't be in lasting physical harm. She'll overcome the psychological effects of it, and that she'll be okay. 
Compared to that, through that terrible event, one or more individuals might be drawn closer to you. We pray that you take our worship during this time. We know that it is ordained by you that we, as your people, can worship you. We want to worship you. We are made to want to worship you. Created for this act and an act of service, an act of love. And so, Lord, we just ask you to use this time to glorify yourself. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you please stand and join us? Feel free to sway or clap or dance or whatever you want to do. Up too, that's fine. Here we go. 
At this time, we usually go around and let anybody share that wants to share. If there's something that the Lord has been speaking to your heart this week, or you saw something, the Holy Spirit said, hey, pay attention to that. Um, but before we do that, I have two points of things we're going to take care of. So this is going to take us a second. Everybody's in it. We're excited. Glad to be here. Praise the Lord. And the first thing is, we talk briefly about Camp You Can. Uh, so we've been talking a lot about Camp You Can coming up over the last, uh, really, it's been about two and a half months. And praise God, we got to go to Camp You Can on Monday. Um, real quick, the kind of historical thing, we... We went to Heartland Retreat Center, which is only about two hours away, instead of Seneca Lake, which is about four hours away. And the plan is for Camp You Can next year and ongoing years to always be a Heartland Retreat Center until God changes it for some reason. It's big. It is a beautiful complex. They have like basically like two olympic sized swimming pools arranged in a plus. And they have volleyball in one area, basketball in another, and diving boards in another, and then uh, shallow area for folks who don't really swim and that kind of thing. And I, I guess most of the pool was really not that deep, as I recall, right? Yeah, it's it's just just this where the diving boards were. Freezing cold. Yeah, freezing cold. And one day the sun wasn't out, but the other day they all got sunburned. So it's kind of like uh, freeze or fry. But they, I didn't swim personally, but I did a lot of other things. Um, they had high ropes, and they had we had a ton of time to worship. We had. Um, I'll mess this up, I'm sure, but we had a, a professional football player who pensioned out from several different professional football teams who played defensive end who was there and spoke with us. Uh, remember Doug uh, Worthington, who was there and he spoke with us at, at Lane. And then we had um, we had a, a professional NBA basketball player who pensioned out from the NBA who was there and spoke with us. And he, I met him before, and I really like a lot of things he has to say in the board. Lawrence Funderburg. He was there and spoke with us on two different occasions. Then a guy named H. Good, who was there and spoke with us and brought what he felt the Lord was having us. And he's, uh, he did not play in the NBA, but he played professional basketball for like 10, 12 years, something like that, all over the world. Um, and he leads all over the world, not in the NBA. So just really phenomenal. And then we had a really good pastor who was there for the pastor for the camp. And we had a ton of good leaders, um, and including myself. I got to be a good leader. Praise the Lord uh, with his help. And uh, RJ was there. And then if you went, if you're a young person in the room and you went to camp, you can. Would you stand up, please? I won't make a sample on, I promise you. Just stand up. Stand up, stand up Ryan. There's Ryan. There's Ryan standing. He's a little standing. All right. And Curtis and Jason. And where's Caleb? Caleb's in the bathroom. Possibly standing, possibly not. Have a seat, Ben, if you would. Okay, so uh, I want to share two, just two, real quick two experiences, and I'm going to give them a chance to share. So this, so, and I ask everybody to be brief because we, we have other things to keep going along here, okay? So I had two experiences that really touched my heart, and the, the first one, um, and maybe the most important one for me, was at the end of camp, the last session, the leaders all got to stand in the front of the room. We all got to kind of extend our hands and pray over all the students. And the power of the Holy Spirit was there so strong. And he was working. You can tell he was working. And I went, so we all started, he said, okay, go ahead. And we all started to pray. And as I went, the very first sentence that came out of my mouth, I was blubbering like an idiot. Like I'm tears streaming down my face. And I'm trying to pray, trying to pray these words. And I almost couldn't get it out, you know. And so I prayed like two sentences. And then I just kind of sobbed and cried for about 15, 20 seconds. So I got myself under control. And then I prayed like two sentences. And then I did it again. And so I, over over the time, they all, we all prayed for about five minutes. And I think I prayed maybe like eight sentences and not very long sentences. You know, they were very meaningful to me. But it's because I was crying so bad because I knew that um, God was truly working. He was truly transforming lives. And the second thing was um, just this, this real awareness 
And we had, like, a lot of our boys that came here, praise God, like, and, and uh, um, Jason and Caleb are RJ's son, so they, and, and so it's Curtis, and so they had, they had their dad there, right? And so, but then when we got there, the pain that I saw was a lot of boys that didn't have dads, and they kind of hammered home on that, and we got to speak affirmation into some boys and kind of encourage them, and they were really struggling there. Either they had a dad or they had a dad was basically absent. And I was thinking about how we're like working in society. We're doing whatever we're doing. We're witnessing. We're sharing Christ. We're going around serving. I hope you're doing that. Doing all those things. But what you don't realize, what we what we don't realize is everybody is a walking history. Okay. To take the naturalist point of view, which is a non-biblical point of view, but to take the naturalist point of view and say you're no better than the product of your experiences. Nobody's any better than the product of your experience. And we know that's not true, right? God makes us something unique and incredible. And God can, makes us totally new when we get saved like that. But for those boys who were not there, they were trapped. I'm sorry, those boys who were there who didn't have dads, they were trapped in what they had been going through. They never had a dad to affirm, they never had a dad to encourage them, they didn't have a dad to provide for them. Or even if your dad was kind of a standoff dad, a lot of them, their dad was just out of their life in the beginning. They never knew their dad at all. And their mom was trying to fulfill that role, be the dad for them as best she could. And I'm not saying anything against mothers, and mothers are probably more important in the relationship than the dad is to some degree, but, but the bottom line is moms can't be dads. That's the bottom line. And your son needs a dad. Um, and so that when I looked around, and then when they had the boys come forward, and the whole time, we were there for three days. It was the, uh, next, it was the night before we left that they did this, right? Or was it the morning? I, I, it all is all I got five hours sleep every night, so by the last day I was like, what's going on? Yeah. That was the, night the night before. Yeah, okay. So it was the night before we left. And we had just one session in the morning. And I was thinking the whole time about that, how God was working as a father to these boys, and they had mentioned it. And then when there was so the number of boys, like two thirds to three quarters of the boys, when they said, If you don't have a dad in your home, get up and come forward to be prayed for, like almost three quarters of the kids got up and went and got prayed for. Because they don't have a dad in home either. And I was just like, I knew that. I mean but then when I saw it, I was kind of crushed. And then I, at the same time, I was overjoyed because God was providing some of what they needed that they weren't going to get before or after camp. He was providing it there. And then there's a real initiative to try to stay connected with the boys from camp. And I hope we do that because um, otherwise we're kind of sending them back into the lion's den, you know what I mean, without having that affirmation. So but I could tell more stories, but I want to give somebody else an opportunity. Somebody else tell me something. One of the boys that's in the room, if you want to share something that happened to you at camp, now it's time. Jason, you focused? Do you want to share something that happened to camp? Anybody? Jason, Curtis, Brian? Okay, so it wasn't in the morning. Okay, I thought it was 14. I couldn't remember. My days were all blurred together. I played 18 holes of frisbee golf while there, and I only remember about six of them. <laughs> so I, I made point in my room. I had the older boys, but I made a point of going to sleep after the last boy was sleeping and getting up 45 minutes before the first boy woke up, which meant I never got, I really never got five hours sleep any night. And I was going to sleep at between one and two and getting up at 5.15. So it was like, so by the end of camp, I was going to All right. You guys anyone want to share? Jason, Curtis, Ryan, anybody want to share a story briefly? They have turned Ryan into a fisherman. Ryan is awesome. So if he ever has a uh, pole and uh, uh, line uh, and water with fish in it, he'll never starve. 
We had to eat it raw, which was terrible, but he he probably do the whole thing. We talked about how he does it and stuff like that. But go ahead. So one of the things I enjoyed about the camp was um, nice for one, it helped me out a lot. It taught me a lot because it showed me the blessings I have in my life. Yeah, being able to have all my kids in my life, and at least trying to be a parent for them to the best of my ability. And it taught me that even though I make mistakes, even though I'm not perfect, I have my problems, that I can still do the right thing by God and raising my children. And the Sunday before camp, so a week ago today, was a really rough day for me. I was having a really hard time. I was struggling mentally really bad. And I was literally about to dial a number and just say, I'm not going to camp. And Alicia kept telling me, no, you need to go. You need this. You need this. You need this. You need to go. And I thank God for one, I went because it was an amazing experience. And I had, I did have a lot of fun, even though it was, like you said, late nights, early mornings. I still, I still had a lot of fun. I got to meet some new people. So it was, it was really fun. It was really, and if any, any gentleman in the room wants to go with a mentor, I highly recommend it. It is, it is an experience that you'll never forget. Absolutely. Awesome. There were very, very, very few personality conflicts or issues with those boys, even though many of them come from rough neighborhoods, rough backgrounds, whatever. And uh, the, the boy, by the way, the boy, I, I, I think I may have told you this story. If I did not apologize, but the boy who was demon-possessed last year, when he prayed and he accepted Christ and was there this year. He did have some minor problems, but overall he was completely transparent. So praise God, he's still in it. He came back again this year and he's been going to church. So praise God. That decision did stick. And that's pretty cool. Go ahead. Um I think that's a bunch of new people. Um it was super fun and you can like I like how you can choose the activities, you can do basketball games for people who want to, and at the end for the championship, we have mentors versus the champions of the students. Mentors won. Yeah, RJ played basketball, and mentors won. I'm not sure he was the strongest player on the team. Oh, no. Definitely. The one guy that was playing on your team, in all fairness, was, was he almost got asked? Yeah, he was, he had an offer the day he was supposed to sign the contract. He was going to the NBA, so but his knees were messed up. But still, he's really good. So you gotta have slight man. Yeah. yeah, he didn't play. Yeah, he didn't play. Oh my god. Yeah, he, he gave out pictures of him stuffing Michael Jordan though. You know, Shaq. Shaq. I'm sorry, Shaq O'Neal. Yeah, he dunked on Shaq. He was yeah. He was, yeah. was bragging, and then he's like, "It's okay, Shaq dunked on me like Paul times." Yeah, he said he did it once. He did. He Shaq once. He dunked, dunked on Shaq once, but Shaq dunked on him like 13 or 14 times. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so you can yeah, have super good food, and there's a bunch of. There's nice people that help you with the stuff, yeah. and if you all, if you ever need help, they said pray to God or talk to someone. That's right. Yeah, that's one of the beauties of it is the whole time they were there, any young man that had a question, or facing something spiritual growth, or there was somebody to talk to. And we actually, we were well populated, actually, leader to student ratio. Last year was rougher. 
because we had about four students per camp per mentor. This year was more like two to one, and so it was it was good. It was really good. There was always somebody around. And if you were as a mentor, like I say, I was getting a little brain fried by the last day. If I needed to just, and I did, I went and played for eighteen whole frisbee golf by myself. Like nobody played with me. I played with myself, and that gave me a break from what was going on. So, what's that? Yeah, which uh, just in case anybody cares, I went. I was two over par after nine holes, and ended seventeen over par. No one cares. <laughs> no, seven. You, I seven over par. Seven. And if you do you go, just heads up. If you do go, heads up. Most of the kids don't go to sleep. Yeah, there was a little. Trouble. So my boys were good. Like I put the lights out, and I told them like three, four times to shut up, and they would shut up. And then the door was shut, and you could, it literally sounded like a zoo out in the rest of the building. Like, they had a huge fire door between us and there, and I could just hear them. Like, and you hear the leaders like, you've got to go to sleep now! <laughs> like, like, I'm looking at my room, and all my boys are sleeping. I'm like, ha, huh, praise God. That was nice. Now, our dad had one boy that he threatened to smack him, but he didn't smack him. All right, transitioning. I just want to share a couple things real quick. So we have in our in our church, um, we have a ton of people like in this room and around. We have a ton of people who work their butts off, um, and and some of them are very kind of like behind the scenes. Like they don't get up here on Sunday mornings. We often ask them to pray or things like that. And I, I want to do just this brief one thing along with all recognition. Um, and so the first person I'm going to recognize, and, and there's no warning, nobody's warned, is Deacon Tony. So Deacon Tony has been my deacon since we began to plant this church. Um, he's your deacon. Uh, the job of the deacon essentially is to serve the pastor's family and then to serve the body. Uh, so Deacon Tony makes sure, for example, we have a Lord Supper set up. Uh, he works as part of the social sanctuary team with Michael, and they, they basically keep the building. Um, he and his family, such as whatever, you know, whoever, have taken care of my lawn uh, virtually for the last uh, 15 plus years. Um, he has gone through spiritual warfare, been under attack a number of times, and he's still here. He's gone through physical stuff. He had body parts replaced. He had, he had pain in his joints, and then he had, was diagnosed with a condition that would not allow. He had medicine that made it so it didn't hurt, and then they told him he couldn't have medicine anymore because he had a, a condition with his heart that it might be affected by the medicine. So, in my mind, uh, he's kind of almost superhuman. And then I was thinking about that, and I thought about how that's how God sees all of us. He is helping us move above and beyond what we are capable of. So the next time you do something that is uh, fundamentally just like, oh, I can't believe I did that. That was cool. You know, I mean, God did that through me. And you know, give God all the glory. Um, and, uh, and if you're trying to do something for God, and you're in trouble, maybe something's interfering with your schedule, or trying to overcome some burden, or whatever that, you call me, or call Deacon Tony, and we'll help you. We'll be there for you, do whatever we possibly can. Obviously, we are human, but we do have supernatural resources. And so, I just wanted to recognize Deacon Tony for standing up for me for so long, and I've recognized you before, but I recognize you too, brother. Come up here, brother. And we're going to briefly say a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we bless, to bless him and his household on the year he is good. Ooh, it's sweet. I'm Added gifts. Look. Before we do this, we're going to go ahead and do this. I do a lot of help in my family. I raise my kids to help me out. 
They're kind of Eastbound in a separate way. The ones that are no longer with us. But the ones that are here help me out immensely. And, uh, it's a song. See, my crippled wife. I push her to help me. You just do what you can. Do what you can, I'll do the rest. And uh, that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. And I do that because if I didn't, she'd just sit on her butt. Not that she does sit on her butt, do nothing. She just stays in the house. It's, it's pretty cool. <coughs> I appreciate it. All right, we're going to pray together. Okay, here we go. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the many gifts that you give us. We recognize that you are literally showering down blessings on us every day. I was watching a movie just a couple of days, Lord, and I heard you speak, and you said uh, there was a man in the movie who was fretting, struggling psychologically, hurting, and he said to the pastor, he said, why is it that God's not speaking? And the pastor said, well, you really think that's true? The God of the universe loves us so much that he sent his son, he isn't speaking. I tell you, he's speaking. Maybe you're just not listening. And Lord, we are grateful for all that you do, and I pray, Lord, that we will always recognize our gifts. And I'm grateful for Brother Tony. I'm great, grateful that he's been my deacon. The truth is, I've been in other churches, but I've never known another deacon. Even deacons who are called deacon by name, I've never known another deacon. And I know that every person has their burdens and barriers to overcome, um, and he's been overcoming. He's been standing firm. And I pray that he'll do that, and we'll do it together. We as a church will do it together until Jesus comes again. There will be faithfulness found on the earth, and I pray it will be found in us. I ask your special blessings upon this man from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You get a chance to see his gift. It is a, I'm a, I'm a burst of bubble, but it's, it's, I'll just say this. It's got Psalm 55.2 on it. Yeah, Psalm 55.2 says, Trust your burden unto the Lord, and he will make the righteous stand. Okay, I got one more. Okay, two more, but one right now. All right, and so Brother Tony alluded to this one. Um, so uh, Brother Tony's right-hand man uh, is also our uh, Soldier Sanctuary team leader, and this is Michael Bristol. So Michael does a lot of things behind the scenes. He mows, he cleans, he works, um, and he he also has his own personal demons overcoming, his own physical issues overcoming, and he is overcoming. And I think it's a measure and standard of faithfulness, and so I wanted to recognize that. This matches your dad's. Alright, we're gonna pray together. Here we go. Ready? This is my brother Michael. He is a gift to us. Lord, they hold us up. They are our strong pillars. And they also fight the fight. They overcome. Lord, I pray for my brother from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet that you would cast aside every demon, every evil spirit, every physical ailment, and you would let him continue to serve you. And we pray, Lord, that in us will be found faithfulness when Jesus comes again. Let this soldier represent you well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This, and then the last one, and she was just here, where's my wife though? Jerry! That's what I do at home. Too. <laughs> okay, so th this last one is my wife, and, I, and it feels really awkward. I was going to have somebody else do this. Um, but so I bought this pillow and then she opened it at home and then she said, What do you do with these pillows? And uh, I didn't tell her that I was doing this. So I, I didn't lie, I swear. Uh, <laughs> I didn't tell her. So this this also shows so this is a picture I made back when we did a sermon on Psalm fifty five twenty two, which again is the only fifty five twenty two in the Bible and it says, Trust your burdens to the Lord, he will make the righteous stand. He will not let you fall, basically. And I'm paraphrasing that of course. Anyway, Sherry, not only is she our preschool team leader, 
Not only is she my wife, which, trust me, is the greatest ministry that she does to you, okay? Because she is your shield and protector, um, even though you may not know it, uh, after the Lord. But anyway, um, she is my wife, but then on top of that, she's our preschool team leader. She works preschool nursery, and um, those of you who have preschool nursery kids, you know what that can be like, and praise God for it. And then on top of that, she is one of our most avid volunteers in the pantry, which means she has literally served hundreds of families in the last few months in our pantry with emergency food. And then we have another one also who does that, that's Tony's wife, and we recognize her later that she wasn't able to be here today. But you come forward and take this pillow that came from our house. Put <laughs> <laughs> back on my chair. All right, we're, we're going to pray together, ready? Father in heaven, this is my wife. Uh, after my salvation, this is the greatest gift I have ever received. She's blessed me. She stands up for what's right when sometimes there is no one else to do so. She's my, my great right hand, my strength. She's my hope. Uh, of course, all of that after you and after Jesus. We are married and truly married because we both recognize that you come first and then she is second to me. And you come first and then I am second to her. That's what makes us married. That's what makes us unified and we're able to do it. I thank you for what she does at the preschool, the nursery, the dirty diapers, the cleaning up, the encouraging leaders, the providing lessons. She does so much more. And some of us know what she does behind the scenes. They like passing out lessons and encouraging people to make sure you're in the right place. When there's no one to do something, a lot of times it's either Tony or Mike or uh, my wife. And so I'm grateful for that. And I know there's a lot of folks here that serve. I'm grateful for every single one of them, Lord. But, of course, beyond it all, I'm grateful for my wife. And I pray for her from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. If she has health concerns that she's overcoming, um, Lord, I'm grateful for what you've done with her neck and her shoulder and her arm in the last few months. We pray that that last shot that she got will last for years and she'll not have to have another. Many years, maybe the rest of her life until Jesus comes again, which... Who knows, Jesus may be coming again sooner than we expect. So I just pray, Lord, great blessings to Juan that she stands for. May faithfulness be found on the earth as it is going to be found here in the White Falls Baptist Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I do have another pillow just like that to give this June when we get her to church. Okay? And so, that being said, maybe this week God said something to you. You came and you think, wow, I'll make sure I share that this week. And so. Let's hear it. What do you got? Anybody? Did you come thinking, I got to share something that happened to me, something I saw, something I heard? It's that moment. I know we talked about it already, but we're with it. We're with it. By the way, one of the things that encouraged me at Camp You Can was they, that the boys were required to stay awake and sit up in their chairs the whole time the talk was going on. And sometimes those guys talked for an hour. I mean, those pro, they got talking. The pro players got talking and stuff. And they had it. They sat up and they were alert. They paid attention. They did a good job. Except for a few who were falling sitting ahead and nudged a lot. But other than that, so we, we're in it. This is our time. What do you got? Anybody? One once? One once. Come prepared next week. Okay, go. Um, on the drive to and from camp, um, being with people that, you, that I really didn't know as much. As I would to other people, um, really inspired me because there was this kid that came last year named Chris. He came this year and he bumped his cousin Tyler. And it really spoke to me that not only can we get friends or family to come, we can get strangers and people that we don't know to come. 
just by speaking the gospel and telling them if they want to believe, if they don't believe in God, that they can come and go in a relationship with God and have a man Man, that's a powerful message, Jason. I agree 100%. In fact, I would say, if you share the gospel with somebody, and they embrace the gospel and become a follower of Jesus Christ, they are strangers no more. They are family. And then we can, we definitely can share our lives with them. That is awesome. Well said. Well, you reminded me of something, I would share this, and then we'll pray, and we'll move on, okay? Uh, we were in the car, and I just got an Echo Auto for my car. Sherry, I watched Sherry one a long time ago, uh, and I thought, well, it'd be cool to have one, and I found it on sale cheap, and I, you know, if something's on sale cheap, I'll buy it, but ain't, I'll wait. So I waited for like two years, and that was on sale cheap. Um, so I bought it. I just went, and on the way back in the car, they were trying to use the Alexa on the on the um, Echo Auto to say, play this song or play that song or whatever, and put Linky Box songs kept playing, and I'm like, ah, but anyway, uh, and they were in the, and they would start yeah they would yell Alexa Alexa and when they would yell Alexa she wouldn't respond and then they would yell so then they would yell it louder Alexa and then she still wouldn't respond I'm like she's not responding because she doesn't hear you she's responding because you're not speaking clearly and I had almost forgotten this when I was saying that the spirit leapt inside me and reminded me that sometimes that's the way we are with God. We think that God will respond to us a little bit more or do what we want more because we're louder and louder. People get louder and sometimes they get what they want in society. But that's not actually the way it works. You talk to God and be truthful. Speak clearly. You can whisper and he'll hear you. You can think and he'll hear you. The demons can't hear your thoughts, but God can. All you got to do is be clear with the Lord and he never fails to show up. I'm going to ask God, Brother Tony Tate, would you pray for us then as we transition? We're going to do tithes and offerings, global worship, and then let the kids go to their lessons. Would you do that? Please do. All right, we're praying along with Tony now. Over the thing for this time, he's going to Numbers chapter 12, and says uh, that you still shape the things that are unshapeable. Though your kingdom is unshapeable. Yes. And so, God, that truly there is still things that will shape. There, there are things that um, even where we think he's going to stand, it's not going to stand. Uh, there's growth, there's maturity, there's there's going to be um, just times of, uh, which I call the good, the bad, and the ugly, but they're always there. But your kingdom is unshaped. And there's nothing today from past, future, present that has caused you to shake, caused you to stop. Only you yourself was caused to go to the cross, to die for everyone, God, to give your life so that we may live, so that we may go home. So that anyone could turn to you again and turn back to God. And so, Lord, we are so thankful for your faithfulness. Is where we find faithfulness by you being always, have always been faithful. Even in Revelation, it says he enforced his road on truth and faithfulness. That's the name. It's true and faithful. And so, God, that's the horse. That's the true faithfulness we have today. God, I thank you for just all the amazing things about the gifts, the gifts that people have, the gifts they receive. Lord, what they receive, they can. God, it's just all your amazing grace. So thankful for whatever you do and how you do it so that we can do this as well. Not just here, but all around the world, God. If someone in these different countries, different cities are worshiping just the same. We thank you for your great faithfulness of this church. Strength and grace to us, not just today, your worship and the message, but this week, 
In Jesus' name. Amen.
Brother Ron, by way of encouragement to you, this week I rediscovered Huey Lewis in the news. The heart of rock and roll is the beating. And I was thinking about you when I did that. So, all right. So I had kind of like a little discussion we were going to have to open this up, and the Lord completely changed uh, my what I was going to do to open it up. So um, let me ask you this question. Does anybody know what the, the definition of the word testament is? We talk about the New Testament and the Old Testament. What is the New? What is the Testament? Um, an individual's recounting or their okay. Story. And it is very similar. Like the the word is very similar, but testimony is what you would say. And this testament, we might think like that's an old English word of testimony, but it's not. And a lot of people, I think, probably in the last two thousand years, have said that, but that's not actually true. The word testament actually means covenant. Right, And so this Bible that we study is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. right? And today that's going to be really instrumental in what we look at in chapter 6 here. Okay. Um, that being said, I just wanted to do just a, just a real quick. Can anybody tell me how many books are in the Old Testament? 39. Tommy was the first one. Tommy, you get the bonus prize to the first one to speak up. At least you had a clip in her mouth. <laughs> You had an unfair advantage. But the rest of you had the same opportunity to say it as quickly. All right. Yes. All right. And how many books in the New Testament? Very good. See, there we're nailing it. Okay. And over how many years, approximately, because this is an approximation for sure, was this Bible we have from Genesis to Revelation recorded? Anybody know? Do you remember? Yeah, but it's most likely less than that. Between 1,400 and 1,500 years, which is still a really long time. Okay, the United States of America has been around for 200 years. Uh, Columbus gets credit for discovering the Americas and and the beginnings of this great land in 1492. So that is less than 800 years, right? So it would be as if uh, as if the Bible were begun to be written in about 8600, 8500, whatever, which which there were Bible events taking place at that time and was finished now. So it was written over 1,400 years. How many authors? Anybody remember that number? Approximately 40, maybe a little over 40 authors. And then here's the good one. How many themes? Genesis to Revelation. Say it again. One. It is the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ from cover to cover. All right, the theme is the same. There were dozens, and it's it's not for sure kept track of or whatever, but there were dozens of different professions. Most of the authors come from different parts of the world. Contrary to popular belief, everybody thinks that all the authors came from the promised land. First of all, let me remind you that to say that someone lived 70 miles away from somebody else back in that day was really to say something. It would take you a really long way. Most Most of them didn't have horses. And so to go 70 miles was more than almost anybody ever did in their lifetime. Unless you were in the military... 90 plus percent of people never went more than maybe about 10 miles away from home. Um, so when somebody wrote 70 miles away from somebody else, that meant they never could possibly know that person. The only way would be if they served in the military together, or if it happened to be a port town and they got on a sailing ship, or if they were a traveling merchant or something like that. Um, but even then, like we, you know, we talk about nomads. People talk about nomads. They wandered from place to place, kind of following the water, following the food and like that. Nomads, as much as they wandered, rarely ever went more than about 50 miles away from home. That's a long way. 
Okay? And if you have animals and you walk them a long way, they get thin. And then when they get thin, you got to feed them up to get them healthy again before you can kill them to eat them because they don't have enough meat on their bones, right? So they didn't travel real long distances. Um, but it did happen on occasion, like in the Exodus. It did happen with sailors, merchants, war, uh, armies, things like that would go. The Promised Land, which we talk a lot about, right, is only 70 miles north to south. 70 miles. The whole place. All those tribes, right? So bear that in mind. Is it north, south, or east, or west? I might have confused that. But anyway, it's only 70 miles across in one direction. All right, so bear that all in mind. Remember I said it's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and how it ties in today. We are going to read today, and we usually hoot or holler or say amen as we go to the Bible, and we're going to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Amen! amen. Thank you. Somebody uh, had caffeine for breakfast, and I love it. All right, here we go. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 1. We will read the whole chapter, which means it's going to take a second, um, and then the points will come fast. All right, so here we go. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments with the, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. All right. So remember, this is Moses. He's recounting the history. So this is not these events. He didn't give them the events right now. He has been retelling the story of when he gave them. This is right before he dies. Moses is not allowed to go in the promised land. And so he's giving them the, the big over-teaching all over again so they can take it with them when they go in the promised land. Okay? There's three words in there that you might want to pay attention to. The first one is a commandment. I think we know what a commandment is. A commandment is when someone tells you to do something. Right? Drop and give me 20. That's a command. That kind of thing. Right? Then there's a statute. A statute is kind of like a law or a, an ordinance. It's a thing that's ongoing. So, for example, if we say, well, we all will wear clothes to worship, well, that would be a, a rule that we've made, and we do pretty much, we have an unwritten rule, but we have that rule, so please don't break it. Um, but that being said, we had that statue. That's a statue. We all wear, will wear clothing to worship, for example. Right? And then a judgment is when someone sees something and says, if you break that, this is what will happen. If you do that, this is what will happen. Sometimes judgment can be a positive thing. For example, uh, your paycheck is a form of a judgment. If you work this many hours, you'll get paid this much money. That's the judgment. You get that benefit because you did what was right. If you don't work your hours, your paycheck will be less is also a judgment. If you only work half as many hours, you get half as much money. That's also a judgment. Okay? But God gives judgment in the forms of if you break his commands, then you receive the curse. You receive the bad things. If you, if you don't break his commands, then you receive the good things that come from those commands. All right? So he's saying, that's what I'm giving you. And when you get into the land, I want you to be able to do them. Do what I'm telling you to do. And he goes on in verse 2. It says, so that you and your son and your grandson uh, might fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your grandson. Now, realize that this, while it is written to men, it would mean a man and his son and his son's son. That man has a wife, and then his son is still, her son is still his son, so it's expected, and then his uh, grandson would still be expected. So male and females are involved here, so it's sons and daughters, but he uses the, the words in the Hebrew are the Ben and the Benny. And so every time you hear that phrase, the son and son son, it's Ben and Benny. I love that. Maybe help, help me to remind that easily, remember that easily. Ben and the Benny. So, so that you and your sons and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, and that fear is a word that means revere, so there's a love component, but you're going to fear in recognizing who he is, to keep all his statutes, that's, that's that same thing, the rules, if you will, and his commandments, that's what he tells you to do, which I command you all the days of your life, 
and that your days may be prolonged. Now, we talked a lot about that before, so we don't need to dwell on it right now. If you have questions about it, come back to me, and it's okay, I'll fill you in. Verse 3, O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may, be, may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Two different things there, that they would multiply greatly, and they would multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, which means a very prosperous land. You know why that's so significant? Have the Israelites as a people ever lived in a land that was not flowing with milk and honey? Absolutely. Where? In the desert. And before that? Egypt, right? So the, the history of their nation is not, over for over 400 years, is not to live in a land flowing with milk and honey. But while they were in Egypt, did they multiply? They did. A lot. So much so that Pharaoh became afraid of them and began, and began destroying or having destroyed every male child born because they said, these people are multiplying so fast that they're going to overcome us. They're going to get to be too many and we're not going to be able to put them down anymore and they're going to be the kings and we're going to be the slaves instead of the other way around. So he was freaked out and he said, well, going to kill off all the male children. I started doing that because they were multiplying in a land that was not flowing with milk and honey, which, is, which means to say, God's people multiply. That's what we do. All right? And then, on top of that, he says, but now I'm going to have you multiplying in a land flowing with milk and honey, which means you're going to, do, you're going to have a great land instead of those kind of yucky lands that you had before. We're in verse 4. Here, O Israel, listen here, this is important. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That phrase right there, the Lord is one, is going to be important by the time we're done. Uh, so kind of remember, it's an easy one. The Lord is one. They use that in support of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but just one God. That's all true. It's all true. But there is a point that God is making when he said here, when he says the Lord is one, because they didn't really even understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is before that was understood, right? God the Son had not yet come, Jesus had not yet come, and while he'd been prophesied, they didn't really understand the prophecy, okay? This is way before that. So he's making a point to say the Lord your God is one, and we'll come back on that in the points. And it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And a lot of people want to make a lot about the out of the heart, soul, and mind. I'm sorry, heart, soul, and might that's in this. And then in the New Testament it says mind. But the bottom line is, you don't have to make a lot out of that, but you do have to make a lot out of loving the Lord your God. Okay, We are supposed to love God. In fact, the command is that we love God. Now, that's a problem, right? Because if I went to a woman and I said, you, you're going to love me, right? And if I was dating when I, before I got married and I said, you must love me, how well is that going to go over? Probably won't get another date, right? That's probably about it for that. You know, like, well, you're overbearing, you're yelling at me, you're whatever. You can't command people to love. Except God has commanded us to love Him. Okay? But the command to love God is to be kept by who? I'll leave that question hang there for a second. Listen, who is he commanding to love him? It says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And so we'll stop there for a second. There's a little bit more. Notice that he's giving a kind of like a what do you do with the word? And it should be it should be on the wall. We have a dry erase board on the side of the door. I don't always update it as often as I should, but there's always a Bible verse written there. You should have it somewhere. You should see it all over the place. Everybody that ever talks about memorizing verses, the one thing you can do is you can write it on a note card and put it on the mirror. That way when you're getting ready in the morning, you see it. And you're memorizing it. And God, uh, God, through Moses, was telling them, put the word where you can see it. 
Okay? And then teach it to your sons. And I talked to a number of times about how in Awana, the greatest time I have ever had, even better than Bible college, the greatest time I have ever had learning the word is when I was teaching it to little kids and they were repeating it back to me over and over again. And I was memorizing the verses. And I went through the Sparky book in like three days because the, I was working with Sparky's that time. And they did the whole, all the verses were being said to me hundreds and hundreds of times. So you need to be teaching it. And as you're teaching it, you're, you're also receiving it. That's what he's telling them. And he's, but he said, also, when you walk by the way, in other words, we're going places, we're driving in our car, crank up a little bit of music or whatever, it ought to be music that is edifying to the soul and you can learn something. So I, I recommend some kind of Christian music and then listen for the message, listen for the word of God, pick it out, study your Bibles, then when you listen to your music, go, oh, that's that verse that I saw. Or at least you did an inspirational moment a couple months back about songs that we sing and ask people like, well, you know what verse that comes from and vice versa. And that's powerful. When you, as you go, you, the word should be there. There's so many people want to talk about everything else, but he's saying, no, you should be talking about the word of God as you go. And then he says, and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them, that's the word of God or writings of the word of God, as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, you may be thinking in the back of your mind, it's possible if you've read your New Testament a lot, that in the New Testament it says that we shouldn't do that with the phylacteries, shouldn't write the, on, the, on there and hang them on our wrists. And, but actually it doesn't say that. We're not going to go there and read it right now. What it actually says is he's accusing them of hypocrisy because he says you make your, front, you make your phylacteries larger so that keep making them larger than everybody else's. So here's the problem. Yes, you study the Word, but don't get prideful and say, well, I study more than anybody else or I know better than someone else or whatever. And that's what they were doing. They would put that there and they would go to, go to worship and then somebody's phylactery was larger than theirs and then the next week they'd make theirs even larger. They got to the point where they're carrying the Word written on poster board hanging from their arms, right? I know the Word of God and carrying it around. And we can't do that. He said, don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. But that's what Jesus said. But at the t- same time, he said, yes, you should have them everywhere. To say that it's a frontal on your forehead would mean it would, it would be in front of your eyes. So you should be seeing the Word of God when you're seeing the world that God made. If you're not seeing, and I'm going to say this as a little aside here, if you're not seeing the Word of God when you see the world that God made, pretty soon you're going to be worshiping something in the world that God made rather than worshiping God. You, ha- you should be seeing every one of the situations in your life, everything that you're facing, the way you're dealing with your spouse, your kids, your house, your money, everything. You see that through the Word of God. That's what he's saying. Verse 10. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build. So God's going to take them in. They're going to get whole cities that they didn't build. And houses full of all good things which you did not fill. And hewn cisterns, which are like wells, which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. There was crops already, the first year, there was crops already growing on the vineyards and olive trees that they captured. It says, and you shall eat and be satisfied. In other words, it's going to go good. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be taken care of. But then he says in verse 12, then watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. In other words, when things start going good for people, people start kind of like taking it for granted. And you, like tomorrow, some of us are going to get up and go to work, right? And when you get up and go to work, you're going to earn an hourly wage or maybe a salary if you're that kind of position. And when you do that, are you remembering that it's not your work 
that's yield, bless you, that's yielding those wages is God. God is the one who created you. God is the one who made you strong enough. He's the one who made you smart enough. He made you capable. He put that job in place. I know we've come a long way, but the bottom line is God still does all of that. And we cannot forget when we are blessed by whatever blessings we have that we didn't create those blessings. I know there's smart people in here. I know there's strong people in here. You might go, well, I'm strong. I can get this job done. You're nothing without God. And that's what he's saying. So God brought you us. Now, if you're here in the room and you're, and I'm going to be a little blunt for a minute, you're not a follower of Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know Jesus. You're not following Jesus. You've not accepted him as Lord because he tells you what to do and you do it. As Savior means he paid the price for your sins. Then yeah, you're doing everything essentially on your own. But even while you're doing that, God's still blessing you because he makes the rain to fall on the good and the bad alike and the sun to shine on the good and the bad alike. He still gave you everything that you have. You're just not recognizing it. You're not accepting that. And so you're facing the curse, you're facing the problems because you're not in the kingdom. But now if you're in the kingdom, realize you were a slave to sin. You were lost and now God made you new. God made you reborn. So everything that you have now, you should be counting as a blessing from the Lord. And he says, watch yourself lest you forget who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And I submit to you, we weren't in Egypt, but we were in the house of slavery. 13. You shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him and swear by his name. Now you may be remembering a verse from the New Testament where Jesus says, don't swear by the name of uh, the, the, the altar or by gold or by God even. Don't swear, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Tell the truth and say, I'm going to do it and then do what you said you're going to do and so on. Right? So you may be remembering that. But here is Moses commanding them to swear. You say, well, that's because this is the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, before we're done, we're going to come back and I'm going to break this down for you in the points. Okay, so bear that. Remember that phrase, swear by his name. Verse 14, you shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. So there are always going to be other ways of religion and worshiping and thing, and they're not good. And you shouldn't have anything to do with it. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Someone I read recently said that every time God is described as a jealous God, it's always in the context of idolatry, of worshiping or thinking something else is important other than God. And nothing else is important other than God. Everything else is like a million times lower. Now, if God says, take care of your spouse, when you get married, God says, take care of your spouse. Now, you have to do that, right? Like I told you, Sherry and I, we believe that we're married for this one primary reason. As we both recognize the other person has to put God first, and then after that comes me. I'm a distant second to God in, the, in my wife's life. And if she ever starts to put me over God, I hope I'll stop her. And vice versa. That's what it means to be married. Your spouse really has to have God first. Otherwise, the miracles that are required to make you one, it's not going to happen. 15. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. Whew! That's scary. Just leave that one hang there for a minute. 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Or would that also could be Meribah. The, they, they tested him in the wilderness and they were punished for it. 17. You should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give you, give your fathers. We talked about that last week. By driving out all of your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, this is really important here, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commands you? So this is what they're going to do. Their sons and their grandsons are going to come to them and they're going to ask them. Those things that Moses gave us, the testaments, the commandments, what do they mean? 
Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And I submit as Christians, we can say, we were slaves to sin in this life. We can put that right there. It would mean the same thing for us as it did for them. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us up from Egypt with a mighty hand. He did it. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. And he brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. In other words, God did all that. That's what those commands and precepts and all that's about. 24 says, So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. And the last verse, And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God just as he commanded us. Look at that. It will be righteousness for us. Or you could translate that rightness. All right. So here we go. Three things I want you to see in there, and they break down pretty neatly. In fact, I think they're, the, the, the text may be tough, hard to swallow, but the bottom line is it's so simple a child can understand it. All right? So the first thing I want you to see in there is that loving God is commanded. God says, love me with all of your heart and your soul and your might and later the mind. All that you are, everything that you are is supposed to be pitted to this one task loving God. Now I understand first of all that a lost person who doesn't know Jesus doesn't necessarily understand what love is. Love is a choice. It affects you. It costs you. It it's it's its outcomes are based on your commitment to it. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to really hang yourself out there put yourself all in? When a man and a woman stand up and get married, as Aaron and Caitlin did uh, two weekends ago, they commit all that they are and everything that they will go through, everything that they're going to do into caring for that other person. They now take all that God is pouring into them and say they're going to turn around and pour it out as God would have them to do for their spouse. And then through their spouse, together, the unified couple is going to affect and change the world. Love. Loving God is commanded. It's a problem because before we got saved, before we became a Christian and didn't really know what love was, we weren't very good at it. I had all kinds of relationships. I had family relationships. I had parents. I had a brother. I had friends at school. I had girlfriends that I dated. Um, and I don't remember as an unsaved person really knowing how to love them well. Now, I knew what acts of romance looked like Right? I'm training Ariana. She's eight. She's young to be dating. Thank God. I'm not really looking forward to that day. Um, but I'm training her on the difference between romance and love. Now, this is a problem because a lot of people want to romance God, but they don't want to love God. Right? Remember, I said love is commitment. It's sacrifice. You're putting everything on the line. You're putting yourself out there. You're willing to risk everything. You're spending your strength, your blood, your sweat, your tears. Nothing held back. You're all in. That's what love actually is. Now, it may play itself out in small acts of service and kindness that cost you something. You may buy somebody a gift. You may show up for them when they need you. You may encourage them when they're down. Those are all acts of love. But love is the total cumulative of your total sacrifice to a commitment to someone or, and this gets really scary, something. And there are people who do that. They love things. They love hobbies. They love things that they do, whatever. And it's very scary because that love is for who? 
It's for God. So people want to romance God. So yeah, I want to do a little something for God. I'm going to give a little something. I'm giving God a little lip service. I'll say something positive about God. I'll try to witness for God. I'll pray to God now and then when I'm in trouble. Right? People want to romance God, but they don't want to love God. In fact, I submit to you, in the world, people are capable of romance and not so capable of love. Which is why we have 52% divorce rate. Because they can romance... They can show that they love people by actions and stuff, and then they get married, and it all sort of dwindles and falls away. And when the romance dies off, they're like, why do we even do this again? But when you make that choice to make a commitment, you put yourself all on the line, and you do it the way God showed us how to do it, and the man loves his wife as, as Christ loves the church, and the woman submits to your husband as the church submits to Christ, and they become one, now there's no going back. right? Some people do go back after that, or go back after a partial commitment like that, and it's extremely painful. It will rip you apart. Just ask somebody who's been going through a divorce and pray for anybody who's in that situation because it is an extremely painful situation. The Lord God has commanded us to love Him. Loving is tiring. Loving is costly. Loving will cost you your life eventually. You realize that if Jesus doesn't come again, we're all going to die Hopefully, I hope, faithfully serving the Lord until Jesus comes again. We're all going to die. You're going to die for Jesus Christ, either of old age or of some traumatic incident or disease or sickness or something. If Jesus doesn't come again, you're going. If, and if you're a follower of the Lord, then you're going to die for Jesus. That's a fact. God is not slow as some men count slowness. Rather, he is patient that with us that all men might come to repentance. So in other words, we're working, supposed to be working our butts off, living out this love for God, and we'll do that right up until we die and our heart stops beating and our brain stops waving and we go to heaven instantly after that. That's the equation. That's what he's asked of us. And I submit to you, to a degree, that's what you committed to if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we'll come back to that in a second. Notice in this text... He gives us the process of how to prolong love. Remember I said it's hard, it's tiring, it's exhausting, it'll kill you in the end. It's difficult because that's not who we were before we got saved. Well, he gives us the process of how to prolong love because they were going to face some challenges and they are essentially warriors. He says this, he says, number one, know the word of God. You tired? Study the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. And you know what comes by faith? Grace. You say, no, 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 that's not right. Actually, it's not by, it's through. But in the Greek, the word is dia. It means by, on account of, or through, regardless of how you want to say it. Ephesians 2 says, we are saved by the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith. You want the grace of God to cover your sins? Then you respond to him in faith. And how do you get faith? Through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing, but is the word of God. right? Billy Graham says, I was struggling in my faith. I was going through a difficult time. And I was praying. So I was praying every day. Every day I was begging God. God, give me more faith. God, give me more faith. And he said, and I really should have known this already. And he said, so one day God said to me, you want more faith? And he asked me, so how do you get more faith? And Billy Graham's like, well, that's what I'm asking you, God. How do you get more faith? And God says, well, you already know. And, and the ver Bible verse popped into his, head, into his head. It says, you get faith by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So you get faith from the word of God. And then you can trust God to do what needs to be done. And when you can trust God to do what needs to be done, the natural outflow of that is you're going to love him. 
You're going to put it out. If I spend myself on this and die, right? If I spend myself on this and die, then I'm done. I can't do that. I can't take that risk. I can't risk that this is all the money I'll ever have, or this is all the strength I'll ever have, or that this, if I put my best effort in here, I'm going to look like an idiot. I can't risk that, right? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. The problem when I think I can't risk that is a lack of faith. You need the Word of God so you can believe that God has got you. So that God is the one orchestrating your life. And when you have that faith, suddenly God shows up and acts. Just immediately. As soon as you believe. It's not when you actually undertake the action. I've told a couple of stories a couple of different times, and I'm going to tell, so I'm going to tell them real short here, and if you need more details later, ask me later, but when Sherry and I first decided to tithe, we realized we were only tithing on the net, and we weren't, and our money never worked out. And we, the night, it was a Saturday night, I'm sorry, it was a Friday night, and the first night we decided to tithe at like 11 p.m., we said, okay, we're just going to do it. It's going to put us $311 behind in our budget every week, or every year. Okay. Every month. There we go. I got it. Every month will be $311 behind. And we said, but we're going to do it. Tomorrow, we're writing the check. We didn't write the check. Tomorrow, we write the check. We're going to tithe. From now on, we'll tithe on the gross. We're going to do it. The next morning, the loan officer called me and he said, you've got to refinance your house. If we're trying to save our house from foreclosure, you've got to refinance your house and we're going to have to put your car loan in there. When we do that, it's going to reduce your payment by, you're going to eliminate your car payment by $311 and that'll get it done. So before we ever wrote a check, before we ever did it, we tied on the, we just committed to it. The very next day, God did it, balanced the budget. For the first time, we were married for almost 10 years. Our budget had never balanced. For the first time, it balanced just like that. All we did was commit to it. That's just an example. Judy Bolton did the same thing. I was, it, there was a night when I was talking to a woman. I said, listen, and the spirit was speaking through me. I said, God is going to decide between us who is right or wrong within three months. That person, I believed in God. That person wound up with cancer less than three months later. When I was at East Little Baptist Church, there was a man who accused me of being like that which ruins the next generation because I gave two little girls a cup of water because they were puffing, their face was red and they're sweating. I gave them a cup of water and he said, you're what's ruining the next generation. And I was attacked. I was hurt. And I said, Lord, if I'm wrong here, help me repent and change my heart. He said, but if he's wrong, then show him. Within three weeks, the man was diagnosed with cancer in his throat and couldn't speak. Then the Lord convicted me to pray for him to, for healing. I prayed for him for healing and he was miraculously healed and could speak again. I'm not making that stuff up. I couldn't make that stuff if I wanted to. You believe God shows up and he does it. God has called on us to love him, to put yourself out there, to spend yourself, to sacrifice yourself. You're going to have to give up. The world wants to watch a lot of TV. The world wants to do a lot of social media. The world wants to be wrapped up in sports and recreational activities and, and hobbies and all these things that we do. The world wants to do a lot of that. When we got saved, we began to realize that that stuff, the wants that we have, listen, I'm, I'm going to break your, burst your bubble. You just can't do what you really want to do. Unless what you want to do is what the Lord wants for you. I realized it was a form of abuse that my t- parents told me when I was growing up. All, they told me all the time. They said, you can be anything you want to be. You can be anything you want to be. And then they always put that little tag on the end there and say, if you would only apply yourself. And I began to realize I, I felt terrible. Like I was worthless. Like I wasn't doing a good job. I was getting all A's and B's in school, but that wasn't good enough. Nothing was good enough. So you can be anything you want to do if only you would just apply yourself. But in Christ, this is what I found out. I can be anything I want as long as what I want is what God wants for me. Lift up prayers to the Lord and He will answer. Ask and you shall receive. The problem is, you've got to believe and know who He is in the first place. And that starts with loving Him back the way He has loved us. Did Jesus hold anything back from you in His love? Did He hold anything back? 
He literally was present at the creation of the world. Nothing was created except that which was created through him. John 1. And then came to earth as a man, lived a sinless life, and died a sinner's death. Beaten, mocked, scorned, thorned, beaten about... We were doing Bible trivia camp. I said, after they put the crown of thorns on Jesus' head, what did they beat him with? Does anybody know? Nobody there knew. They beat him with a rod. They put a crown of thorns on his head, and then they beat him about the head with a rod, driving the thorns into his head. Did Jesus hold back anything from you in his love for you? then what can you righteously hold back from God? We are required to love God and by this process that He gave them was just know the Word, know what it says, and then share it with others. Jesus came that all might be saved. Not some. He came to save everybody. But then we get people who are saved and then they start doing okay. Listen, I was a, I was a hot mess. My marriage would not have lasted. I was ruining my eldest daughter. I was... $30,000 in debt on top of a house loan. Even though I didn't have a car loan. I did have a car loan. I had a car loan. That was it. I had a car loan, house loan, $30,000 worth of debt. I was ruining my life. It was terrible to my wife. She was on the verge of divorcing me multiple times, and walking out at least. There were times where I walked out thinking that I had been somehow wounded. You know, the night she was going to go to party, I was feeling all jealous and I left thinking I wasn't going to come back because, wow, how dare she go to party without me because she was invited and I wasn't. That night, I was ruining my life. And God came in and turned it all around, turned it all around. And I became born again. And all old things got old real fast, gone. And all things became new. And now I'm going to get wrapped up in my prosperity. I'm going to hold a little too tight to a dollar bill. Or when I start to get sore or tired, I'm going to say, God, that's enough? Are you going to, what are you going to hold back from God, the God who held nothing back from you? Loving God is commanded, knowing the Word, and then we ought to be sharing that with other people. We've got to go outside our comfort zone. The problem is, you know why a lot of Christians aren't sharing God with other people? This will hurt you. It hurt me. You know why a lot of Christians aren't sharing God with other people through Christ? Because they don't believe in God. He said, that doesn't make any sense. How can that be? Jesus said to the disciples, Oh, ye of little faith, how long will I have to put up with you? And they walked with him, and they saw him heal the blind man, and the leper, and the cripple. They saw him cast out evil spirits over and over and over again. And he said, Oh, ye of little faith, how long will I have to put up with you? I submit to you, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to trust Him. And to trust Him, you need to know His Word and share it with others. As you're sharing it with others, by the way, it will become a frontlet to your eyes. It will be hanging around your hand. It will be around your house. It will be everywhere you look and you'll constantly be going, Oh yeah! By the way, earlier I paraphrased Psalm 55, 22. What does it say? Yes. Yeah. Because He will not allow the righteous to fall. Is the second part of it. Good. But why don't we all know that? It's the only 5522 in the Bible. What does John 3.16 say? Now, why do we all know John 3.16? Because it largely encapsulates the Bible. It encapsulates the entire theme of the Bible. It's a verse that covers almost everything. And that's why leaders are constantly teaching it to kids. But the verses that you learn from your kid as a kid or when, or when you used to teach, it's not enough. You need the strength to walk with God every day. You need to be constantly filled. You're an empty cup unless there's something in you. And by this faith, we open a channel to God and He delivers His grace. God does not have to do squat for you. He does not owe you anything. 
He doesn't have to do squat for you. He doesn't have to provide for you. He does it all because he loves you. That's called grace. Because you don't deserve that love and I don't deserve that love. We don't deserve it. But by believing in him and trusting in him, sharing the, knowing his word and sharing his word, then as things come against us and surround us that will distract us, etc., we'll be ready. Also notice there was one third point that they put in there and that they were forewarned about prosperity. Again, I told you what my life was like before I got saved. I was messing it all up. And then after I got saved, miraculously, God was fixing it all. Since then, there have been time and time again. The story that I tell you about when I was driving to Michigan and we were in a snowstorm and everybody else was sleeping and I sat back like this driving and I couldn't see the gas gauge. And that's thing I look up and the wheel's below empty and been driving for like 50 miles since it went on, since the light came on or however long it was. Didn't know how far. I still had 30 miles to get home and we prayed and God essentially put gas in the tank. The needle literally went up like that to three-eighths of a tank and we drove all the way home and unloaded and everything and I drove the next morning got gas. Got more gas than I possibly could in the tank. Well, that's a great story about God and trusting God and asking God and receiving from God. Whose fault was it that there was no gas in the tank? Whose fault was it that I didn't know the light came on? Right? That's where we're living. And in the midst of prosperity, it's really easy to go, oh, God's not giving me enough. I'm going to be blunt here and I apologize if I step on anybody's toes. But this is what I've heard. I've heard, for example, sometimes about tithe. I say, oh, I don't have enough money to tithe. Tithe is 10% of your income. I can kind of get that. I had a sister tell me I don't have enough money to buy gas to go to church. You know how much money it costs to buy gas to go to church? About 25 bucks a month if you live kind of far away. If you live here in East Toledo, it costs about five. Five dollars a month. You don't have enough gas to get to church? And I'm not trying to convict anybody any more than necessary, but that's in the notes. It was there since I wrote it Friday. I don't have time to read my Bible. Do you know how much time it takes to read your Bible five minutes a day? Five minutes. You don't have five minutes? Cut your stinking sleep short. Like, oh, I can't do that. If I cut my sleep five minutes short, I'll be tired in the morning. Really? FYI, you're going to be tired in the morning anyway. People are tired in the morning. Get up five minutes early. Oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't get up five. If you actually get up five minutes before... You need to get up to get where you're getting. When it comes time to get up to get where you're getting, you'll already be up and you'll actually get there on time. Amazing, isn't it? With the possible exception of if you plan five minutes in the Word and wind up spending ten, then you might be late. And if you were, it'd be for actually for a good reason for the first time ever. You have the time, you have the money, you have the resources, you have the people because God put them in your life, because God did it by His grace. We are to love Him back the process is this. Know His Word. Share it with others. Live it out. Make it like your guide, your most important thing in your life. I'm not saying worship it. God is the one we worship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's all of it. But what He's saying is, you must love Me. Now He's saying that because we've become His children. In the Old Testament, there were a number of prophecies about how they weren't following God, they didn't get it right, ultimately did wrong, they were suffering the curse, carried off in captivity, all that kind of stuff was going on, right? And there were prophecies about how God would then write the commandments on the hearts of a people. And that that people, that, that God would be their God. He would be our God. Okay? And we would be his people. What do you think that's talking about? It's talking about the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit God would send after his own son came and gave his life. Then Jesus went back to heaven. He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, it's really good. 
I'm going to send somebody back the comfort, a new comforter to be with you and you'll be taken care of. And the Holy Spirit comes in us and he convicts us when we're not doing it right. But a lot of times we don't hear the Holy Spirit because we're not walking in the word in the first place. And the Holy Spirit says, remember that verse you read 17 years ago that said? And you're like, no, I don't remember that verse. Why? Because you read it 17 years ago. Remember what it says here? Or it gives you a little phrase that you're supposed to remember from the Word of God? And you don't remember it because you haven't been doing it. There's nothing about the Word of God in you or in your life. And here he was saying, do that. It's an act of love toward God. Put this in there. Live it. Share it. And be forearmed. Because when prosperity comes, it's going to be tough. Remember when I said that we would talk briefly about the swear on the Lord? And there seems to be a conflict between that and the command in the New Testament. So the word in Hebrew for swear is, I'll try to do it. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I'm a Greek, a little bit, little bit of a Greek scholar, but not so much Hebrew. But the word, I did look it up. It's Sheba. Does anybody know what that word means? In English, we say it means swear, right? But it has a literal meaning in the Hebrew. It means to seven yourself. What the heck does that mean? Seven myself? Well, okay, so somebody tell me what in the Bible, what seven is? What's the first seven in the Bible? Seven days of creation, right? God created what in seven days? Everything. But actually, he only created for six days. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested and he made a covenant. Covenant to remember that seventh day and all that God had created, right? You were nothing. I brought you out of nothing. Don't forget I made you something. That's what happened on the seventh day. That's where we all started at. You were nothing. I made you something. Don't forget. I brought you out of nothing and made you something. That's the covenant that God made on the seventh day. To seven yourself is to remember that you were nothing and God made you something and now he brought you out of nothing and made you something. Don't forget it. It's not a promise. It's not like swearing on God's name like a curse. It's a covenant. You were nothing. I made you something out of nothing. Now let's go forward together. That's what he did. And, and God is a covenant God. He covenanted all throughout. The, he covenanted with Abraham. He covenanted with David. He covenanted with Noah. He covenanted with Samuel. God is a covenant God. And when God makes a promise and God makes a covenant with somebody, he always keeps his side. When we are living in the Lord and following the Lord and doing what we're supposed to be doing and we commit ourselves to something, your yay must be yay, your nay must be nay because you are a child of God. God is your God. The only God. There are no others. There may be some demons that masquerade as God. Satan may try to masquerade as God. Money may try to become a God in your life. Sex may try to become a God in your life. Relationships, social media, games... Whatever, any of it might try to become a God in your life. But there are no other gods. Only God. And when he said your God is one, that's what he's talking about. There's only one God. There is one God and he sevened himself with you. From the beginning, he said, you were nothing. I made you something so that we can be together. And then mankind, the form of Adam and Eve, and we were all in there, broke that covenant. But God didn't break his part of it. He ultimately promised he would send his own son, and he did, and his son sacrificed himself. Now, last text of the day, and we're about done. Go with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 21. So we're going all the way to the back of the Bible. Almost to the end. 
Revelation 21. It will be the end, essentially, or nearly the end of the story of all that God has been doing in all creation, all time. Revelation 21, beginning of verse 1, says this, and he says, and this is John speaking, and he says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's what we think we're claiming as a Christian, isn't it? That's the end that we're foreseeing, isn't it? The living water in us, us in the new heaven and new earth, with all this crap that's down here, passed away, finally gone. That's the end that we're foreseeing. But I want you to notice the phrase in the middle. It says, for the one who overcomes. He says, I will do it. And then he says, for the one who overcomes, he who overcomes shall inherit these things. Love the Lord your God that you are commanded. Be prepared to overcome. Prolong that love and be prepared to overcome the things of this life that you also are commanded. And the way has been given to you. Know his word and share it and be careful of the prosperity that you experience that it does not distract you or tempt you from your loving of God. Whatever you get, as much as you may have, be ready to put it on the line as an act of love with God. And if you will not, then I submit to you, you need to stop claiming that promise because you ain't got it. You can say I'm going to heaven one day and there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sighing, no more pain, etc. But unless you overcome, you will not have the promise to inherit these things. That's what God said. It's the one on the throne. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the being the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. That's what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And we are being saved if we are accepting. And then he says, he who overcomes shall inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. You know what? He actually doesn't stop there. I stop there, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say this. He says, but for the cowardly, hang on, because before I got saved, I was a coward. I was afraid of what people thought of me. I was afraid of fights. I ran most of the time. I got in a lot of fights, but I ran when I could. Right? A coward would be somebody who says, I love God, but I'm not willing to put my all on the line. You got a little money you're holding back just in case the God don't show up? You're a coward. Got a little time you're holding back to spend it on yourself because you don't want to use it for what God wants you to do? Coward. You know Why? Because you're not trusting God if I spend this time. This is God's economy. He says, you give and I give back. I give back more than you ever gave or ever could give because I gave you all of what you have in the first place. If I give you more than that, when you give, I'll give back. But we don't. Sometimes. And when we don't, we got to be real. 
We're being cowardly. If you won't give of yourself, your time, your talents, your blood, sweat, tears, money, etc., you're coward. Because you're not trusting God that God will do what He said He would do. And this is what He says. He said, but for the cowardly and the unbelieving also, you're lacking in faith. You say, well, I can't trust God to do it for me, so I'm lacking in faith. He says, the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable, that means the things that God gets sick of, and the murderers, an immoral person, and sorcerers, that means people that try to uh, force God's hand or force things in the spiritual realm to do what they want by certain means other than being found faithful. Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, he says, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's very simple, isn't it? You have one choice to make. God says, love me the way I love you and we'll be together for an eternity. It's like a marriage. Love me the way I love you and we'll be together for our entire life and our entire life is an eternity because I'm God and you're recreated as my son. That's what he says. But if you will not love God that way, if you're going to lie about it, you're going to be cowardly about it. You're not going to trust Him. You're not going to follow Him in faith after He's already presented Himself in your life and begun to give you stuff. Make things better. If you're not going to do that, there is still a place for you reserved in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I'm not making this stuff up. I couldn't if I wanted to because it hurts too much. It's time we were no longer cowardly. It's time we were people of faith. That we receive the Word of God, we study it, we learn. You say, I don't read that good. Okay, well then you've got two choices. Number one, anybody that doesn't read that well knows they have to work harder than anybody else who can read better than they are. And by the way, when you do that, what will that be? That will be you given to God. And what will that be? That will be rewarded by God. So guess what? If you're somebody in this room who doesn't read all that well, you got the higher road. You got it easier than anybody else. You can get blessed easier than anybody else. You can be faithful easier than anybody else. Some of you can read a lot better than you. You go and read the same amount that they read and you'll get twice the blessing because you'll have done more work to get where they're trying to get to. And God will bless you back because of it. So you got to read it. But there's also, in our great day, listening to it. Get the Bible app on your phone. You can listen to the Bible anytime. From now on when you get the car, at least think about, for one split second, think about putting the Bible on instead of music. And then you'll be doing it as you go, which is what we're commanded. When you get up in the morning, I want you to think about putting the armor of God on before you put your clothes on. Delve into the truth. And say, no, I, I want to get my clothes on before I study. Well, then that's fine. But I want you to think about the Word of God first before clothes. Because the best clothes on the earth will not get you into heaven. The best of anything on the earth will not get you into heaven. But your faithfulness in the Lord, trusting God and loving Him with all that He has, believing in Him, being filled up by His Word, sharing His Word with others, and being forewarned to overcome the prosperity that you will experience, you have entered into a covenant with God. God has been working for us from the beginning before we were ever born. And He's asking you to do nothing less than to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord. That means He tells you what to do and you do it. And your sa Savior, that means He paid the price for your sins. He sacrificed Himself for you and held literally nothing back. And yet Christians all over the world, while they may be doing more than non-Christians are doing, or more than some other Christians are doing, we're still holding back, and it must stop. 
You cannot behave as a coward in the kingdom of God. You cannot do abominable things, things that make God sick to his stomach in the kingdom of God. You cannot try to play the game of manipulating God or manipulating the spiritual realm just to get what you want. You cannot. You must trust God with all that you are and everything you have and put it all on the table. As if you could hold it all in your hands and say, here you go, God, I give it to you. Trust the Lord God with all your burdens or he will make it so that the righteous will stand. They would go into the promised land and experience great prosperity and sometimes great difficulty. They would be tempted by the gods around them. They were forewarned not to have anything to do with those false gods, not to let their prosperity distract them, and yet they will fall away. But we must not be like those who fell. We must be like those who endure to the end. And that's what I'm asking of you today. I'm asking you to repent of your own weakness. Turn, that means return, turn to God and turn away from your own weakness. I'm asking you to repent of your own cowardliness. That means turn to God and turn away from your own cowardliness. I'm asking you to love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And that's going to mean putting the Word of God in you and delivering the Word of God out to anybody who will listen and being aware of that prosperity and that idolatry that we so easily slip into when we're doing well. Stay firm. God gives you a million dollars. Give Him a million and one. Because by the time you get done giving him a million, he'll give you another. Give him that. God gives you 24 hours in a day. Give him 24 hours of the day. And he'll keep giving. Because that's the kind of God he is. And if you love him, you'll enter into that covenant with him because you were nothing. And he made you something. So that you can be with him. Ask the praise team to come forward at this time and Lead us in our closing hymn. This is both our last hymn of our service, the last song of our service, and also a decision. If you're here today and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Don't worry about anybody else in the room on that decision. If you know you haven't, but you're willing to today, then you respond and come here and you say to me, look, I want to live for Jesus the way he wants me to live for him. If you're here today and you say, I've been holding back. I got stuff that I... That I keep back from, I don't, I don't give God my money, I don't give God my time, I don't give God my worship, whatever. If, if you've been holding back and you want to repent of that today and put it all on the table and give it to God, then you respond and come forward and share that with me and we pray together. You say, I need a new church home or I need to be baptized or I need to, I need to go forward with this thing that God's calling me to do, whatever that might be. And you want to make that commitment today publicly so people can help you, so people can pray for you then you do that. Whatever it might be that God's laying on your heart, this is your chance to respond publicly and everybody can see it and everybody can hold you up. Right? Love God. Don't sit, there, don't sit there and go, well, I'm afraid of what people think. If you care what people think, you are a coward. When it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ, with God, with the God of heaven, if you care what people think, you think, well, but I've been saying I've been a Christian for a long time now and if I give my life over to the Lord in earnest now, people are going to think I was a liar. You were a liar. <laughs> Let's be honest. Now you're just a coward. You don't want to be telling the truth. Or if you say, well, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, but I've not been putting it all in line. I really truly give it over to God. And you're worried about what that's going to look like. Nobody cares about what that's going to look like. All we care about is getting where God's taking us. Commit yourself to the Lord. You don't sit there and go, but, but, but. Excuses are just that. They're just excuses. Really, they're only useful for cowards. You say, but no, there are real reasons. A reason is a reason, and excuses and excuses are different. 
God closes the door, then he has always made another way. There's always something else that you can do to glorify him. But if you close the door and say, I'm not going to do it, you make an excuse, that's cowardice. Okay? So as we sing this song, I ask you to stand with me. Come on, you got it in you. Stand up here. And you respond, the Lord speaking to your heart. As we sing.